Bet365 sponsors Why Always Us, the Manchester City podcast brought to you by The Athletic. And they feature over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you need to bet on sport. The domestic season might be over, but we still have the closing stages of the Champions League and Europa League to play. And Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Well, just as soon as it started, it's over for City and Pep Guardiola in Lisbon. In the blink of an eye, the Champions League hopes were dashed and that one bad performance every four or five games that we always feared City might have was had. You're listening to Why Always Us, a Manchester City podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm David Mooney and I'm joined by Sam Lee. Hello. How are you, Sam? Yeah, fine, fine. Funny old game. <laughs> well, we're going we're gonna to dive into that. But right now, we're offering listeners of this show the opportunity to try out The Athletic for free. You can enjoy all of our great writing on Manchester City, including recent articles on why City crashed out of the Champions League. More on that to come later on in the show. There's also a more positive piece uh, titled The Rise of Phil Foden, the Stockport Iniesta. Sam, that's, uh, that's, that's possibly the most positive thing we can, we can talk about at the moment because uh, I, I suppose Phil Foden's absence was, uh, was, one of the, was one of the positives of the game. Uh, well, well, in terms that he wasn't tarred with the same brush as everybody else. Well, quite, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, in, in, yeah, in terms of Foden, I mean, I was just speaking to somebody close to him then, actually, and, you know, it's not been a positive season for City, but for Foden, it has been. You know, he's he's broken through, he's scored a lot of goals, he's made a lot of assists, he's looked very positive, and, you know, the hope is, obviously, on their side of things and, you know, City side of things and the fan side of things that he will... You know he'll he'll make an even bigger step next season. Yeah, that, I mean the the rise of Phil Foden for this season is is accurate, isn't it? That's exactly what it's been. Yeah, but I mean I suppose it's been a, a rise all the way along. Like every every season he's been in the in the first team setup, he's you know he's played more minutes. He's he's had more first team exposure. He's looked a better player. Um, but yeah, the article I did uh, put it together over a few weeks. It's more like a book, I suppose. Um, it's pretty comprehensive. I spoke to an awful lot of people about it on the record and off the record, and I'm yeah, it's a it's a pretty good guide of basically everything that's happened or the main things that have happened to Phil Foden since he was born up until about now. Um, so yeah, I, I don't always talk in glowing terms about my own work, but I'm a very I am very proud of this article. I think it's probably one of the best things I've ever written, if not the best. So I mean, I've given it the big the big build up there. But if you are interested in reading it, then you know you know, now you know how to. Yeah, you've got a 30-day free trial as well, so it's uh, it's worth having a look at. Uh, just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man City pod to sign up for that 30-day free trial. Uh, that's theathletic.com forward slash Man City pod. Uh, Sam, we can't put it off any longer. Um, what happened, mate? <sighs> what happened, what happened, what happened? Um, I'm always very, very, very wary of kind of being seen as either, you know, the person who puts across City's thoughts and explanations or Guardiola's thoughts and explanations when they seem to have done something wrong. So I don't, 
and in fact, we could have a good conversation about this because I saw your Twitter thread on it as well. But I mean, the the general consensus, and I do agree, is that Guardiola got things wrong. But I've never been of the opinion that just because somebody got things wrong that you need to lambast them for it. I do think Guardiola des- deserves criticism. I do think he got it wrong. I do think he made mistakes. Um, I do think... I think the hardest thing is I can't work out the logic of it because I was saying after City beat Burnley back in December and they were going into the Manchester derby and I had doubts about 4-3-3 and City being open on the counter-attack. I was like, look, they should play their normal game. United aren't that good. They'll, you know, They might have problems on the counter-attack, but they'll create problems for United and they'll win. And City did play their normal game with a 4-3-3 and they didn't create basically any chances. And United had loads of counter-attacks. And I was like, God, well, they do need to change things then. They do need to be a bit more, you know, considered and and move things around. And, you know, long story short, over the rest of the season, they did that. And then, if you obviously, you remember after the Madrid game in the Bernabeu, City played a really good game. And everyone was like, oh, well, you know, they, they won 2-1. But if they'd have played their normal game, um, they'd, have, they'd have scored loads more. But I didn't necessarily think that was the case. Yeah. I You know, I thought that... Um, you know, if they had have been a bit more open, the way Madrid scored their first goal by winning the ball back in the city half would have happened again and again. So even though I've criticised Guardiola and I do think he was wrong, I'm kind of thinking it's hard to blame a man who at least had the logic behind that team of my team have got this weakness, I need to cover it up um, and this is how I'm going to do it. When my opposing argument is, if it had just played four three three and created a load of chances, they'd have been better off. I find that a difficult point to make because there is, I don't know more than Guardiola. But there I is, do there, feel like I'm going to stick to it. Yeah, there is a big difference though between you know Real Madrid champions of uh, of Spain and you know and Leon who finished, albeit in a curtailed season, but seventh in league on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but I mean, again, people are saying seventh in in France, but Norwich are twentieth and they beat City. Um, you know, Wolves were what seventh in the Premier League or eighth in the Premier League and they beat City twice with these same kind of issues. So I I can understand the logic, and like I say, I don't want to just be seen as if I'd have done a thread on Twitter about well, look, Guardiola was worried about the 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 like getting isolated in the channels with slow centre backs. Um, and he wanted, you know, he wanted, you know, the superiority in numbers to build out. So we had three from the back against their two forwards. So there was always a, a man spare, and they could build out easily. I was, I was just very wary that people would be like, "This guy is literally never going to criticize Guardiola ever." Um, but I mean, that is really valid. But yeah, the other side of it is, the other side of it is, when City finally did get it in gear around the hour mark, having written off an hour of the game, basically, they created so many chances they looked so much better that you almost think it was worth sticking with the whole way through but then Leon did exactly what Guardiola was worried about I can't I can't work it out like, well, this in terms is- of the tactical setup I can't work out exactly you know I, I did criticize Guardiola my article is probably the most critical I've been of his team selection even though I've tried to understand it I do think there was an element of you were worrying too much about that I do think he was scared I've said this before very recently on a podcast I do think 
the whole I think his whole career is basically under underpinned by being scared of not losing control of, of not having control so he wants that control and he's scared of not having it and I do think this season he's got more and more scared of that because he doesn't trust the defence clearly he doesn't trust the defence because he's put Fernandinho in it but he's not had anyone to replace Fernandinho and he's not had anyone to replace David Silva so he's trying to make the midfield more solid by taking his two of the best three players out of it and covering the defence which isn't quick and then he played three centre-backs against Leon, and I've seen the point made on on Twitter and it does make sense like of the thing is we've we been into the reasons why he doesn't play Foden or, or or Bernardo Silva um instead of David Silva you know we've talked about that quite a bit but basically they're different types of players and it's only the kind of sort of difference that somebody like Guardiola would spot um, and we've talked about my theory on why he doesn't make substitutions and we might come back to that because it was basically the same against Leon but there must be a reason why he doesn't play Carl Walker as the right-sided centre back in the back three. Like, I know he's never going to do it in a in a in a back four because he, Walker's not as good on the ball as they need him to be in terms of playing it along the floor through the lines. But if you're worried about pace and you're worried about balls over the top, get the fastest man on the team on, on the fa- case. Yeah, just so at least if they've got a counter attack, then he can go and snuff it out like that. Obviously, is it that simple? Like, is he over, like is he overcomplicating it in that sense? Like, and then you could just put Cancelo at right wing back because Guardiola said, "Oh well, you know, it's his country, and you know he's deserved to start." Well, obviously, it's Bernardo's country as well, but that didn't make any difference. <laughs> like, fine, Cancelo was all right. I, I, I've I said in the build up, probably on this podcast, definitely on others, and on the Q and As on the Athletic, I would have played Mendy just because he's a better attacking outlet. And look, to be fair. What City created in the first half was pretty much Cancelo putting good balls in behind the defence, but it only happened like three times. But you could easily, if you're definitely going to play three at the back because you wanted to avoid counters and you wanted to have, you know, Rodri and Gundogan-ish in front of the defence to stop that happening, then you had to put Walker in the back three and then use Cancelo on the right and, and Mendy on the left. and then it, But then it all goes back to a lack of trust in so many players. Like, in so many players. Like, Walk, uh, walk. Stones and Otamendi obviously didn't get a look in. That's no surprise. We knew that wouldn't happen. I wouldn't say he doesn't trust David Silva, but we know that he doesn't use David Silva in the big games because the physicality is not there. I mean, but obviously then you're you're more worried about what David Silva can take away from your performance than what he can give. Yeah. And are you telling me that he can't give something? To that, that he couldn't have found a, 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 a like killer this? pass or, yeah. I know, I know. I mean, I do, I do understand you can't criticise a man for trying to cover up your team's weaknesses because at the end of the day, is that not what a football manager does? And people will say you play to your own strengths, but there is there is a balance. I suppose there is a balance and he didn't find it. I know we talked probably about for about 10 minutes already. It's been a bit of a waffle. I'm still still trying to work out exactly what went wrong. We focused on the tactical side of it. Don't worry. We will get to the other element that, my God. Like, <laughs> like when, we were, when we were... When we were previewing this and look you know I was quite positive about City's chances last week and I thought they'd kind of turned the corner in Europe and you know they had a sensible sensible game plans and you know the pressing was back um, and you know I wrote an article after Madrid this is what they need to do if they want to go and win it you know and they keep creating chances because they won't score them but you know if they create if they create that many they might be alright and keep was it, oh, God, it was something about the defence but you know just keep pressing basically and and you know keep keep believing but basically none of those things happened. And in terms of creating chances, they didn't create enough. And just the, oh, the ones they did, like the ones know, they the, did. The thing just, is... And, like, and look, like nobody's surprised who missed them as well. Like I'm not having, I'm not having a go at Sterling and Jesus because it's that debate we've had all season. They both had their best goal scoring seasons for City 
They're both very good players. Sterling in particular. Sterling was in particular one of the best players on the pitch last night. Um, but everybody knew coming into it, as you said in the in the, in the introduction, one in every four, four or five games, City can have one and it's not going to be their night. And you just knew that if that was going to happen, there were going to be two players who who would, if that was going to happen, who would miss the chances. And yeah. they both did it. Like Jesus' chance compared to Sterling's was not easy, but it was an easy chance. Yeah, he was picked out in acres of space. Score that, City go 2-1 up. I'm not, I don't want to say that would have been the end of the game, but City would have been 2-1 up. That's it, it, it's, a, it's a massive change, isn't it? And I then, mean, the, 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 the thing is, like we're, we're talking about this setup of, of playing three defenders and, uh, and, uh, and, and the way that Guardiola was adapted. He brought Mares on. He went back to his tried and tested 4-3-3 and they were creating chances, but, but Leon, it was just so much more open and Leon were getting yeah. in behind. So were those, if he'd stuck with his original plan or maybe just tinkered with, with the original kind of 3-5-2-ish sort of uh, sort of setup, would, would that have served him better to trust his gut instinct? <laughs> this is a proper, this is a difficult, that's a tough question to ask, isn't it? Because everyone's criticising him for making a bad decision. Um, and then, but at least, well, at least he changed it. So fine. Um, but criticising him for not sticking with it is, yeah. My, my my head fell off when I saw the team, but the same thing happened when I saw the team for the away game at, at Madrid. Yeah, and that yeah. worked a charm in exactly, the end. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like I don't, I don't bother reading too much into the team now. You know, I, I will go, oh God, what's going to happen here? And who's going to play there? I enjoy it. I enjoy that. And I, I enjoy seeing everyone on Twitter either losing their heads or going, what's going to happen here or being excited or whatever. Um, I I didn't think, but well, everybody knows. With a lineup like that, everybody knows the narrative is that Guardiola's made it difficult for himself. And that's part of the problem. Um, but no, I mean, if we're saying, are we criticising him for not sticking with his gut and changing it? I can't. I mean, look, maybe there's an argument for that, but I can't. I can't do that I, in good I, conscience either. You no, know? <laughs> I couldn't do that in good conscience. Absolutely not. Like They should have changed it earlier. They should have changed it at halftime. Um, they wasted an hour of the game. Um, and if they'd have carried on with it the whole way, they'd probably just lost 1-0. Like, there was nothing else happening. Yeah. There, look, there, oh, there, was a of, there was a couple of things. Obviously, Sterling early on in the first half when he pulled the ball across and just got a toe on it and knocked it away. You know, there, there were those little things happening. But if City had have stuck with that the whole game and um, and lost 1-0, which I think would have happened, and City had have just had little chances like that, nobody would have been saying, oh, well, they were unlucky. Like, no, they, he, he should know. As far as I'm concerned, the crime is he should have. He should have changed it. It's, it's crime. It's, it's crime isn't getting it wrong in the first instance. It's not correcting it quick enough, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah exactly. Yeah, it's just what was he waiting for? Like what? What, what were those fifteen minutes in the second half supposed to show? Like, every, like the whole thing about the Champions League now is you haven't got two games to put it right. You know, it's ninety minutes, do or die, and two thirds of it, it didn't do anything. Is is the Champions League in his head? Because when you when you hear him talk in press conferences and he talks cons- like consistently, he he'll bring it back round to well, I'm a failure because I've not done it in the Champions League. Is it getting to him? I don't know. Um, I th- I think so. Um, I don't know because at the same time, you know, when we did an article on uh, on whether he overthinks things back in February, you know, the general consensus from people he's worked with was that no. Like he just he makes changes to 
to every game. And, you know, people have said like, oh, you know, they but they never play three at the back. Like, what's he doing? It's not, well, I mean, they have played three at the back this season. And like, I saw a criticism that, oh, they've only worked on it for three days. I was like, well, hold on. They, everyone was loving it when they went to Old Trafford in January and they worked on it for 15 minutes. And of course they only worked on it for 15 minutes because they've been with Guardiola for four years. And when you listen to somebody like De Bruyne explain the subtle differences in that game, you know, Old Trafford in the Carabao Cup when City were great in the first half in particular. And then the Arsenal game in December, which was a week after that derby defeat I talked about when they played a double pivot and Foden was on the left. He came inside and Mendy went outside and all that kind of stuff. When you hear De Bruyne explain that and as just a minor change and they know what they're supposed to be doing and they know where their positioning is supposed to be and they, you know, they, they know the passes they're supposed to be making. You know, the fact that they've worked on a tactic for three days, to me, sounds like a lot. You know, it's not that they've... It's, it's overkill, not, if anything. It's, yeah, it's not like Guardiola's pulled it out of his ass. You know, they've done this before. And it's... There's obviously... Look, there's obviously a change. There is obviously a change in the shape. There's obviously... A, on the night, in terms of how it worked, there was a, a profound impact on how it affected the team because they just weren't getting the ball in dangerous areas with anything like the regularity they normally do. But, you know, there, there was time to... There was time to to work on it, and I'm sure they they would have known. But does it does it does it get to him? You know, does he make these changes in in Champions League games more than the Premier League? I don't necessarily think so. I do think that's the power of of narrative. I really do. Um, but I, at the same time, maybe I'm just falling for that. But I do think there is something about the Champions League where I don't think, like the, the whole stuff about arrogance is just bollocks. Like I don't people just parrot that. And it doesn't make any sense. Oh, he's arrogant, or he's just showing off. It's like showing off, like, <laughs> and like, the, the arrogant thing doesn't make any sense. Like, if you're playing three central defenders and two defensive midfielders in front of it, and you're you you know you're you're taking a forward. You, if you're taking one of your three forwards out of the team to put in an extra centre back, that is not arrogance. That is that is fear of what the other team are going to do. That's not arrogance. That's doubts. You know, the arrogant thing just does not stack up whatsoever. And it's a very, is it just because he's unlikable? You know, is it because people see him as unlikable? So they say, well, he looks arrogant. So, like, if it was arrogant, then it would have been, if it was arrogant, right, they would have played 4 3 3 and they would have lost on the counter attack with Mares, Sterling, and Jesus up front playing their normal game. That arguably would have been more arrogant than what he actually did do. But nobody would have ever said that. This podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the experts in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, and Manscaped has just launched in the UK. We've gone years without using the right tools for the job, so you can be one of the first men in the country to experience Manscaped's life-changing products. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents, and the water-resistant technology allows you to groom whilst in the shower. And we've got a special offer for you right now for all of you listening to this podcast get 20% off and free shipping by using the code EPL20 at manscaped.com that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code EPL20 happy shaving you want narrative let's look at narrative because uh, Liverpool 2018 a mad 15 minutes at Anfield knocks them out of the Champions League uh, Tottenham 2019 a mad 15 minutes at the Etihad knocks them out of the Champions League Leon 2020 a mad 15 minutes knocks them out in Lisbon um what is it with these mad 15 minutes in the Champions League why 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 does yeah. it not happen in the FA Cup why does it not happen in the League Cup why is it always the Champions League um because the teams are much better the teams are much better um like again, set oh, seventh in 
seventh in France. Okay, they're seventh in France, but they've they have got good players. And no, they haven't. You know, they haven't got. They shouldn't have a squad that's that's better than City's. But we know in football that if if you're an organised team with good players, you will go further than a disorganised team of very good players. That's just how it works generally. Or, you know, that will give you a great chance of success. That's why I think it happens in the Champions League. But that's the mad thing. Like, you run through those games there and, like, people are, people are like, I don't know, like, they might be right and I might be wrong. But what I can't get my head around is the fact that it's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, he was too open against Liverpool and then, you know, he was too... And then they... And, then they, and, and Liverpool and Monaco. And then they, they throw Spurs in with that. And he's like, well, no, like Spurs was the opposite of that. Yeah, if anything, he was, he was too closed, if anything. Exactly, exactly. He, was, he was too closed, but I was kind of fully on board with that, you know, because there was a, there was other context, you know, there were saving players. People, oh, he didn't play De Bruyne, he didn't play Sane, but he, he kept them for, for Crystal Palace because Crystal Palace was a huge game in the league. So that was the big context. But the other big context was he'd seen what happened at Liverpool. He'd seen, to a lesser extent, what happened at Monaco. And last season, don't forget in the group stage, obviously they'd, they got, they took one point off Leon. They were, they were lucky to get that one point. Um, Hoffenheim give them trouble. And, you know, that 3-2 late win against Schalke in the last 16 was pretty lucky. Obviously, they beat him 7-0 in the second leg. But he'd seen his team be too open. So I'm fully on board with him closing shop against Spurs last season. And again, this is why it, I'm, I'm still not sure because I'm kind of thinking I should be fully on board with the kind of more defensive approach against Leon. But I just think probably the best thing the best way I can put it is going back to what I said earlier about in terms of finding a balance. And maybe this is just me trying to search for reasoning in my own head. But I just think there was a balance that didn't involve being that defensive. You know, you can still be, you can be defensive on the front foot. You can use the ball intelligently as they kind of did against Real Madrid and as they did against Spurs. And, you know, they, they kept the ball and they dominated the game by not pushing for too many chances. But it wasn't like, they knowingly didn't push for chances yesterday. It was like they just couldn't. Like that yeah. was the issue, I think. And so, yeah, there's there's so many things like the the arrogant stuff, and then the stuff about the previous defeats and why they happen, and you know everything's kind of lumped in together. But it, it's not, and it's like the context of Monaco was, you know, people were. Lest we forget, people were criticizing him for being too attacking, and they said he should have been more defensive against Monaco. You know, when people didn't really get what Guardiola was all about in this country. I mean, I'll always remember the. The guy I was sat next to on the plane on the way back, he was saying they should have played six at the back with Fernando as a sweeper. Literally, you know, when you remember when you were like fourteen years old and played football manager and you were holding <laughs> on for like the last five minutes, and you just put everybody, everybody on the on the back line, literally yeah. parking the bus before parking the bus was even a thing. You know what I mean? It, it was that. You know, he was th- this bloke. I know it's just you know just one bloke's opinion, but I'll always remember that. And, you know, people were criticizing Guardiola for being too attacking in that Monaco game, but he was trying to tell the team, look, this is how we always play. This is, you know, we've got a lead, but we need to keep stay on the front foot. Like we hold what we have, but by attacking, you know, we we build on that. We keep the ball as far away from our own goal as possible, and that's the mad thing. That was the message in the first season, and the message last night was, "I'm not sure about Leon. Yeah, we better be careful about this." And maybe that creates doubt in the player's mind. I mean, look, for, I mean, from what I've heard, and I'm not sure how this exactly stacks up because my assumption and everything I kind of knew about City was that when they prepare for matches, for specific matches, they, they're told that they're doing this because of this. You know, we need to do this here because this guy on their left wing comes inside and we need to do this. So I'm not sure if this is true, but what I've heard is obviously City worked on the three five two in training in the week, but some of the players assumed it was for later in the tournament because they were like, well, we're not going to need that against Leon. 
because it's and so it, soon, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, well, just because it's like, well, why would we? Like, why, why would we need to show them that respect? And in fact, Guardiola said, he goes, as the first half went on, he said, we unblocked our respect for them, which I took as an, an acknowledgement that whether it was his tactics, well, I don't know who he was blaming himself or the players, but I think he, he said they had too much respect as well and they were effectively too defensive. So it's, it is mad that he's gone from the first season at Monaco to what are you doing, lads? You were sitting back, we need to attack, to this game now against Leon, where he was telling them to sit back and be careful. And the players, presumably, if they thought they were going to need a 3-5-2 later in the tournament, because they surely wouldn't need it against Leon, maybe they're thinking, oh, does he not? Does he not trust us? Does he not trust us? And I mean, look, obviously loads of players can, can think he doesn't trust them. Like, I mean, and for good reason, to be fair, Otamendi and Stones, you know, for all the uproar about the back three, you know, we said maybe should have used Walker. If he'd have played Otamendi and Stones, no fans trust them either, let's be frank. Um, but there's just a lot of players there who feel like, yeah, they're, they're not trusted. And maybe the players starting thinking, well, I don't know. Presumably he, he spent a lot of time in the, and this is conjecture on my part, but presumably he spent a lot of time in the pre-match analysis saying, well, you want to watch out for, for Corne and you want to watch out for Awa and you want to watch out for this ball over the top, which obviously they always do. But was there not as much of a focus of, well, you'll get the ball in here. And this is your... And so, yeah, so to, to round that point off, it's basically the players maybe thought, I'm not really sure what we're supposed to be doing here. The other side of it is, the thing that all the players who love Guardiola says, you know, they, the thing that they all say is the best thing about Guardiola is he'll, he will know what's going to happen on the pitch and he'll tell them and it does happen and they're like, oh, well, how did you do that? But I mean, obviously it's just match analysis and he's got a great eye for detail and so of his analysts, you know, his analysts and his his, 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 his analysts and his assistant managers, they will look at games and they will spot things that, I don't know, like not even your your average analyst who knows much more about football than any of us listen to this podcast, most likely. Was it, was it the Leicester game in the Amazon documentary where he spotted something for somewhere for Sterling to run and it opened up the, the opportunity for De Bruyne to score. Yeah, that rings a bell. That rings a bell. And in terms of like, in fact, I was going to say set pieces, but it's not. I remember it was Torrent. There was a Spurs game and he was kind of like, look, if you bring Ericsson out here, there'd be, and it's just that kind of stuff. But so yeah, th- yeah, I can't remember the ins and outs of that Leicester one, but you're bang on. And I'm sure people will probably remember it better than I will. Um, but the other, yeah, so that thing is, Guardiola always tells his players, you know, the opposition will do this and this will happen and we'll do that and we'll get all the solutions. So it's like, Obviously, it's analysis, and obviously Guardiola normally comes up with solutions for that, and he will have a good idea in his head. You know, people always say he locks himself away in the changing room or whatever, or his office or whatever, until he's got a, a key to the game and he knows how he's going to win it. But so he knew what Leon were going to do, and he was right. He was right. He knew what they were going to do. But um, did he not know what his own team were going to do? Like, did he not think that well, Leon are going to do this, and if I send them out to do this, this is what's going to happen? And then obviously he got to the first forty-five minutes, and it was, it was shit. Like, like he said, I think he said like, oh, for for fifteen minutes it was not very good, and then it was fine. And then he said for twenty minutes it wasn't very good. I think even in one interview he said for thirty minutes it wasn't very good. So I'm not sure if he was just kind of, you know, protecting the players in public. But I don't know. Like, how can you how can you know exactly what Liam were going to do? And he was right about it. And how can you think I've got the answers here? And then not for somebody as good as he is to not envisage how it would actually work in practice and then still not and then like not even change it until an hour like 
I there is. I, I, I'm, I'm confused. Like, I wish I had all the answers, I've, but I'm just trying to. This is therapy, basically. <laughs> there is the argument, though, that he did know entirely exactly what his team were going to do. They were going to miss really easy chances. They were going to concede soft goals and, and give up easy chances, and they were going to, you know, they were going to have a lot of the ball in a game and not do a lot with it. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, you think back to his first season. We talked about it a couple of times. I, I remember being in press conferences. Uh, and asking him consistently about the defense and he always his response to me all the time was we have problems in both boxes and yeah. that 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 whole season has come back to pass i mean we talked about jesus and sterling already but edison didn't cover himself in glory no. um oh yeah he was good at first you know when i was kind of making my notes on it was very much the same as against Real Madrid, in that he had some very difficult shots to deal with, and he just caught them, like fielded them very well, and it's just like, well, that could have gone, you know, he could have spilled that if he was having a, a bad night or whatever. But I mean, he's not even been criticised really for Leon's second goal and the finish straight at him, and he's kind of through under him. He's dived, he's dived one way and tried to cover it with his feet and just not blocked it at all. Yeah, I mean, again, look, he he was exposed, and he was one on one, so it's not the end of the world. But then, like the the third one. It's just like if it sums it up. So I mean, Christ, it's such like an easy journalistic tool to say that's a microcosm of the season or whatever. I probably use it too much, but I'll, get to, I'll try not to swear. I don't know if it makes sense. <laughs> but that miss, and then within a literal minute, they go down the other end too easily. And okay, you'd probably expect a centre back to misplace a pass, which happened with a second goal. But just Edison just to inexplicably fumble it. You just think, like, forget it, like, forget it. Like, even if that had been the second goal, um, and not the third, because obviously the third, it was like, oh, this is over now, this is done. But even if that had been the second goal, he's like, forget it now. Like, there's just that is it. Um, yeah, that is it. Um, and I, I mean, Edison, he did that against Liverpool, didn't he? I can't remember which goal it was, Anfield in 2018, but he did that. He did fumble one there as well. And but Might I mean, have been the opener, you know. Uh, I yeah, seem I, remember, think might, I, I seem to remember Mo Salah getting onto it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and look, I think he's great. And I kind of put this in the article. Like Laporte had two bad games for City. I think some other people would maybe say he's had a few more since a restart. I don't think he has, not to this degree. I'd say he's had two bad games for City. Um, but, you know, one was in the ninety-minute must-win game against Spurs last season. One was in the ninety-minute must-win game against Leon. And you think is that a coincidence? So, yeah, maybe. And even if it's not, what you can do, sell Laporte? No, you're just, you're just not. You're just not. So how are you going to get over that? And and with Edison, like he's so good. I, I like Edison. I'm a big, big, big fan of his. He's perfect for City in terms of using the ball. Um, you're not gonna you're not gonna sell him, and you're not gonna get anyone better. The only one better you could probably get is Ter Stegen, if there was some kind of fire sale at Barca. But it would just be like a mad operation for City to do that this summer. It's just not, basically, it's not going to happen. But the thing is, with Laporte, you can say, oh, maybe in these big Champions League games, he has a mistake. And it might be a generalisation. That might be a generalisation. But the thing with Edison is, it's not so much, oh, he did that against Liverpool and he's done it against Leon because he's not had a great season, really. And look, he's won the fucking, and this is the mad thing. We talk about this a lot. He's won the Golden Gloves. <laughs> City got 100 points and they had the most clean sheets. But we know, everyone knows. I, don't th- I, I defy anybody listening to this to say that those things were fine. And as I've put in many articles, look, City is still a really good team. To score more than 100 goals, you obviously need to be good. To get the most clean sheets is good, but, you know, obviously we know they haven't scored enough goals or they haven't 
shared the goals out equally. We know they haven't been solid enough in defence. And the full story of that is they had the most clean sheets, they had the most goals by a mile, but they are miles behind Liverpool. And they beat Real Madrid and they look great, but they lost to Lyon. And that is the full picture. You know, you, you can talk about, and I suppose you could kind of boil that down to Jesus and Sterling as well, but I think individually they're very good players. And I think if, you know, especially if they weren't relied upon quite so much, if somebody else was putting the ball in the back of the net, obviously De Bruyne has carried the team basically all season. If somebody else was putting the ball in the back of the net, it wouldn't matter quite so much. But I mean, obviously that is something they're going to have to improve upon. And I wouldn't like to be either of those lads. You know, cause there's no there's no next week now to go and put it right. They have to dwell on that. I think Sterling is probably mentally stronger to deal with that. I think it will be a tough a tough test for him, but I think he's mentally stronger to deal with that than Jesus. I think I think Jesus is really going to struggle. And to be yeah. honest, if, if the chances had been had gone the other way, and Jesus had missed the one Sterling had, I don't want to say that would I don't want to say that would be the end of him. But he would have really it, really it could that, that it, mentally, it, I think. Yeah, it really could have been it for him at City if that had, if it had been the other way around. I, uh, I I know what you mean. He's he's a very emotional guy, isn't he? That's that. Yeah, the I mean, thing. you could tell by the final. I'd actually, I saw him kind of semi in tears at the final whistle, but it was only until later that I saw him and Je- him and Sterling were basically lying next to each other on the turf at the final whistle. And it's just like, lads, you both know, don't you? Like you yeah. both know what you've done. Like, Way of the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, as much as. I don't know. There might be, there'll be people listening to this who are sympathetic. There'll be people listening to this who have got no sympathy for them, or whatever. But they, as the players who have done, who have done it, as the, you know, when you've made a mistake, when I've made a mistake, you know, we are the ones most critical of ourselves, aren't we? They, they will not need telling whatsoever. Harry's sponsors Why Always Us, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were sick and tired of overpriced razors. And now by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. As a listener, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial sets for £3.95. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel, and travel blade cover by going to harrys.com forward slash why always us right now. That's harrys.com forward slash why always us. The question becomes then. Let's let's use the end of this week's show to to kind of uh, right some wrongs for next season because next season is uh, it, it's less than four weeks away, Sam. So how does City make sure that that it's not just a continuation of this season? That the problems that have existed all of this season are ironed out in the next four weeks? Uh, yeah, I think I've. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, look, it's going to be a transfer market, isn't it? It's going to be a transfer market. Um, I've made this point, I think, on podcast definitely. Definitely in the article after the Liverpool game. And look, people are going to say this is typical media um, trying to set an impossible standard for City to live up to. And look, at the end of the day, if City don't do what I'm about to say they should do and they win the league next year, but not by the margin I'm saying, I'm not going to go, well, they were shit. They should have done better than that. I'm going to say they won the league. Fair play. They bounced back. Brilliant. But if, well, the answer is obviously in the transfer market because Guardiola's had good enough players. Yeah, okay, they didn't have Sano, they didn't have Laporte. And I've mentioned, you know, they had a big impact all over the team, moving Fernandinho around, Roger coming into the squad. I know that's had a big impact. And to get second still is fine. They haven't fallen apart. But there's been times where the 11 men on the pitch have been better than the opposition's other 11. Same as last night, Saturday night. And it didn't, it wasn't enough. So 
it's not necessarily just going to be coaching, is it? It's not going to be, I don't think, Guardiola getting these group of players and getting more out of them. And I'm not saying that's because he's a bad coach. I'm just saying that's the situation. Like, for the reasons that Bernardo and Foden don't play instead of Silva, 99% of the coaches in the world would play one of those two instead of Silva, and it would probably be fine. But the way Guardiola sees the game, it's not fine. And the reason City have got 100 points and 98 points in previous seasons is because, I've said this before, his, his systems and his plans are so good that when the players believe them and buy into them and carry them off, you know, it's different. It's better than almost anything we've ever seen in football before. In in England for City, in world football generally um, for Barcelona, and I think he's done something that was never done before in Germany either. Um, but I think if things don't work, there are certain things he won't try, like last night playing Carl Walker in a back three, if he was going to play a back three. He wouldn't try that. He wouldn't put Foden on or Bernardo on when the game was, you know, in the balance um, for whatever reason. Just there's just things he won't do. So I'm not. So I don't think the solution next season is purely going to be tactical. And we know it's going to be in the transfer market. They've already signed two players. I wouldn't be. Look, I don't know if they're going to sign Koulibaly because no, nobody's got a crystal ball. But we know they want to try. And I wouldn't be surprised if we knew something in the next couple of weeks because now Napoli are out of the Champions League, and not only a City out of the Champions League, but they're going to need a response, aren't they? And what would be not papering over the cracks, but what would save what would change the the attitude around the club and certainly the fan base this week? A new player. Go here you go. By the way, we've signed this guy. Now, and and if it was Kula Bali, I'm not saying they're gonna be able to get it done in a week. I think it'd be very difficult. But they're gonna surely now try and push ahead with these transfers. And look, I've heard, you know, that figure of three hundred million, if you know, if it happens, it will be boosted by all all kinds of outgoings. It wouldn't be three hundred million net spent, obviously. It would it would happen, even though it would need everything they planned to come off, which you know they that hasn't always happened. You know, in every summer they've tried to get players they haven't got. But the point I'm going to make is the answer is going to be in the transfer market. And if they bring in five players, even if they bring in four, let's say they've got the two already, Ake and Torres. Let's say they bring in Koulibaly and the forward. Let's say the forward, whoever it is. If City do win the league next year, I'm kind of thinking, I know this sounds very harsh, but they, with that kind of level of investment and the ability they've already got and Guardiola, as good as he is, I can't, I'm wanting them to get 100 points again. I'm wanting them to get 98, 99 points again, or at least more than 90. Now, I'm wanting them not just to, to scrap out the league I don't think this is going to happen on like, on like 85 points. I want City, if they're going to spend that kind of money and make that kind of investment and improve a squad that should already be really good anyway with such good players like that, whoever you know this forward, this hypothetical forward is a hypothetical left back is, I would want City to be amazing next season. Not just you, want, to, you want a 2017 to 2018 jump. Yeah, exactly. And the only reason I say that is because they've got it in them. I'm not saying Manchester United next season, if they sign Sancho, should go and get 100 points. I'm not saying Chelsea with um, Ziyech and Timo Werner should get 100 points because they've not done that. They're not used to doing that. They haven't got the the players or the manager with the experience of doing that. But City have. The core of that team, unless I'm wrong, okay, there's no David Silva, there's no company. Okay, fine. Okay, fine. Um, But I think there's enough core ingredients of that team and even obviously the team last season, which was 98 points, to do it again. And, you know, if if you're signing Koulibaly, then you're signing him because you want instant impact. So you need him to have an instant impact and you need him and Laporte to be phenomenal. And, you know, you need them to concede like 18 goals next season. You know, they, it, it does sound very harsh. I'm setting this high bar, for, high bar for City when they are now, so relatively at a low bar. But I do think if you're asking what the 
you know, how they're going to turn this around in the next month. Yeah, okay, it's a big ask to kind of go from the low ebb that they're at now to 100 points in a year's time. But I do think that with the investment and with the quality they've got, because it's not just about money, it's about quality, but they've got quality. In, they've got quality in the dugout. They've got quality on the pitch. They, yeah, I, I know this wasn't the question you asked, but I do think they really need a big season next season because, I mean, look, people are going to question Guardiola. But, I, well, I, I was going to come on to Guardiola yeah, because like, it's, it, it, at the moment, it's his final season at City. He might sign an extension. He might not. We don't, like, we, we don't know about that yet. It is, as, as we go into it, it's his final season at, at, at City. It's the longest he's ever done as as a manager at a club. We know he's an intense guy. We know his his methods are very intense, and and that you know he, he spoke about after his four years at, at Barcelona. He spoke about you know burnout and, and needing the the rest and recovery. Is there a potential that he's got the most out of this squad that he can possibly get, and that's it? Phrases like taking them as far as he can is. Like they're very heavy phrases, aren't they? They're always. And used I, I, I don't in mean a that in negative sense. No, no, no. Yeah, no, in, a dis- no, in a disrespectful I'm way, in, in a I'm sense just of like they, my answer. Yeah, they need somebody new. They like like not not the case at all. Not even questioning you know Guardiola's methods, anything like that. He is the as far as I'm concerned the greatest manager City have had. Yeah. But let's like there is that there, there, there will come a point where the players can't take in anymore. He can't yeah, deliver yeah. it anymore. It's a fair question. It's a fair question because Guardiola's always said, you know, when people said after the cast. Verdict, you know, is this, is this going to mean Guardiola's going to sign a new contract? No, I don't think so. Um, other, other things, or does this mean Guardiola's going to sign a new contract? You know, if they win the Champions League, he's going to sign a new contract. No, because he's always said the biggest thing for him will be at the end of his contract next year, that will be five years at City. And he says, after five years, I need to see if the players are still ready to go and play again and listen to what I want them to do. And if I've personally got the motivation to do it again. Um, so it's a fair question on those grounds because after a game like last night, he could maybe look at the players and say, well, my ideas were good. My ideas were sound. They were based on logic and they didn't do it. Or maybe the players could say, why on earth was he asking us to do that? Um, maybe Guardiola's just thinking, you know, to go back to your question about does the Champions League get to him, maybe he's thinking, I can't be arsed with this. I mean, I don't, I'm not saying he's going to walk out, but, you know, he might be going into the next season thinking, you know, I really need to see those players get 100 points. You know what I mean? I really need to see a reaction for it to happen. Um, so it, it's a fair question on that sense. Has he taken them kind of as as as, as far as he could take them as it were? Um, I suppose this particular group of players, I suppose that is exactly what I was saying before. When when you asked what the solution is, and I said it's the transfer market and it's not coaching. Maybe that's what I, changes it, yeah. I suppose that's what I, I suppose that's what I meant. Because if you know this is obviously hypothetical, they're not going to if City were given a transfer ban tonight and they couldn't sign any more players, obviously they've already got two in already. But um, would anybody say he can get the best out of John Stones and Otamendi and, and Zinchenko and Mendy next season? No, like, I don't. I don't think he could. And you, you know, I'm. You know, like if you're listening to this for the first time, okay, I might have to explain. I'm a massive Guardiola fan and advocate, but you probably know that anyway. But I don't think he could get the best out of those players next season. You know, if Angelino came back, I don't think he'd get the best out of of Angelino. I don't think. Um, I, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with Bernardo. But it, it was a point that I kind of stumbled across when I was writing about how good Raheem Sterling was, which is quite bad timing, but he is good, uh, on Friday for the Premier League 60 series in the Athletic. Like, to kind of sum up how good Sterling is and how consistently he's played for City, like been selected and how well he's played consistently. Look at Leroy Sane, who's obviously left, but he was left out of a team for a bad attitude and he couldn't get in the team 
because he wasn't consistent enough. Mares was left out of the team at Huddersfield 18 months ago-ish. Um, for bad attitude, he's not always been able to get in the team consistently. Bernardo Silva was fantastic last season, whether he was on the wing or whether he was in the De Bruyne position, but he's not been able to get that consistency this season. Um, and now you start to think, hold on a minute, there's more players than not that are struggling with consistency. And it, it's a bit of a leap because I've always said, you know, when we're talking Centurion season and last season, basically every member of the squad or 90% of the squad, I would say, had played the best football of their entire career. And that's whether it was young players like Sterling or Edison or old players like um, Fernandinho or, or Silva or Aguero. They were all taken to such heights. But now it's like, if they fall out of form, does it come back? And I'm kind of thinking there's more like, like it's more Sterling's good form and Sterling's good performances are more an example of his own good mentality than of the kind of leadership. And, you know, there's so much been talked about of how Guardiola and Arteta turned Sterling into a great player, and they have uh, coaching-wise. But if you look at the others, they've done that with all the other players, and it's not worked to the same extent. So it's like, in terms of taking them as far as he can, can he inspire those players now? And again, this is somebody who's a big Guardiola advocate. Can he inspire them to go again without you know the incentive of just bringing in other players? I don't know because it seems like it's Sterling's own mentality that's got him as far as he has. And you know, Bernardo struggled, and Mares has been in and out, and Sane's gone, and Jesus is—I don't know—maybe you can't really pin it on Guardiola for the good or the bad. Jesus is kind of fighting, fighting his own demons, but like Stones is just not trusted whatsoever. He's just falling off a cliff and like I've written before and I really believe it now but I've written before that it was probably just the, the best case for Stones that he just needs to go and get a fresh start somewhere else and he could be good somewhere else it's not necessarily an indictment of him or of City but now I'm starting to think maybe it is a bit of an indictment of of City or not the City but but maybe Guardiola because he just doesn't trust him does he he's he's, he's gone and Otamendi's gone and there's just a lot of players that I don't see being able to rescue their careers and I could also, you know, the flip side of that coin is that there's a lot of players I don't see Guardiola being to, able to turn their their season around. So, I mean, it's a bit like, it's the analogy I've used before, you know, we don't criticise Messi for not scoring enough headers. It's a bit churlish to say that, or it feels a bit churlish to pick holes in Guardiola's career. And look, I'm not forgetting one bit how good a manager he is. Um, but I am, I am kind of wondering now, there are these little things... Um, that do need addressing. And like I say, I think City's answer is going to be the transfer market rather than Guardiola getting everyone in and saying, right, lads, this is what we need to do and this is how we're going to do it. And yeah. there will be an element of that, but it does need new blood. But at the same time, at the same time, yeah, everyone needs new blood, don't they? And look, Klopp, Klopp, won, the cha- Klopp won the league with Liverpool last season with no new signings. And and that, that's kind of possible when you're on and up. But the time will come for him, you know, this season or next. He will need to add players to that squad. He can't win three or four in a row without adding to it. You know, that would defy football logic. Everyone needs to change a winning squad. So they are going to need to do that. But uh, yeah, I think there's a big emphasis. Look, if City are going to sign five players and it's not, I was kind of saying for so long, it's a it's a refresh. It's not really a rebuild, but it just looked more and more like a rebuild. Yeah. Uh, let's let's say on the positive side, if he, if he gets that response from the team and they do go on as you want them to and get another 100 point season, they, they absolutely, you know, steamroller everybody. I know I'm sounding very negative here. Go, does go that, on. does that incentivize him to maybe stay any longer? Because it, it almost proves that the players do want to have that, that, that kind of uh, response from them. 
Um, I, I think it, I think we're just gonna have to wait and see how how next season happens. I mean, look, I don't think there's been any major fallout from this game. I don't think there's been any, you know, lit- literal fallout. So I don't think there's been any cross words in the dressing room. Then there was probably. Well, look, Dalv's gone and company's gone. But, you know, after that derby in 2018, yeah. there was the old basics of football. There might have been a bit of that. You know, there might have been a bit of Walker and De Bruyne saying a few words. But I just think, you know, it was they were just devastated, basically. Devastated is a word I've heard used today. And like a funeral is another phrase I've heard. So I think it was that. But, I mean, look, it might be interesting. People have been speculating on Twitter. I don't think this is going to happen. But people have been speculating that Bernardo Silva's going to leave. And, I mean, look, maybe that will be indicative. You know, maybe if we're... We're suddenly talking in a, in a few weeks. Like three weeks isn't a long time. Three weeks is not a long time. The way this year is going, particularly, <laughs> we might be talking in three weeks. You know, Bernardo Silva wants to leave, and, we, and then we start thinking, oh, you know, are there a few are there a few a few more cracks there than we thought? Um, but no, I mean, I think the players that Guardiola wants to move on will be moved on. The players that you know, Bernardo and Mares and whoever else, maybe who have had an up and down season, I think they'll they'll stay and they'll be added to and, you know, they'll get the incentive of, you know, you've got somebody fighting for your place here and also the incentive of the sun's out, it's a new season, we go again. You know, that, that yeah. kind of... A, a kind of a hard reset at the end of the Yeah, it, exactly. Yeah. But at the same time, it's nice. It doesn't feel long enough to be a hard reset. <laughs> I mean, if we think about what a month ago was, a month ago was probably some City game that seems really recent. It was probably... David Silva curling in a free kick against Bournemouth or Newcastle, you know, a month ago was not a lot. And in another month, they're going to have to go again. But anyway. Yeah. Well, I, I've purposely left this question to the very end, Sam, um, because uh, as we've been talking, it's Sunday evening and the reports are going wild that Leo Messi wants to leave Barcelona. Um, yes, they are going wild. Thoughts? Uh, thoughts are, it's a game. It'd be nice. Um, well, no, it, well, thoughts are, first of all, he always does this. And he ends up getting a new contract. Um, and also, to be fair, Barca are in such a weak position. It, the, the reports seem to be that Messi said either the board goes or I go. And they're in such a weak position at the moment where it's probably quite likely that the board will go. And that'll be that. Um, but, 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 I do think... If he does go, if he does go, look, we've had we did a whole podcast on this. I think basically how we surmised it was there's probably about a ten percent chance of him leaving Barca. But if there is it, but if he does leave Barca, there's a good chance of him coming to City. Um, and look, the years the year has changed significantly. The landscape has changed significantly, football wise, from when we did that. And what we said back in January, or whenever it was, was that I initially had assumed that City wouldn't go all out for Messi and what he would cost now, because you know, he's 33 years old and he's not the player he was and it doesn't make sense. You know, City City don't need that marquee player that they needed in 2008. They don't need that marquee signing they needed in, even in 2015 before Guardiola came. Um, so I just assumed they wouldn't bother, forget it. But the information I had when I wrote that article back in January was actually, if Messi is available, they will go for him. If the now, opportunity I'm, comes up, you can't say no. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And now, I mean, I don't know what's happened post-COVID if that's changed, but... City is still going to spend a load of money anyway. So they've not been affected too much by COVID. The money is still there. And it's obviously like part of the story is it's still, you know, the owners of the club. It's not so much Pep and Cheeky. We'll get onto that. It's not so much Pep and Cheeky who, who wanted him in um, January and he may still want him now. But, you know, Khaldun and whoever's above him and whoever's alongside him in Abu Dhabi, um, they want him. You know, it's still a goal for the club to sign Messi. So it's still, as far as I know, um, something they want to do. And the the other element of it is, politically, 
Guardiola and Chiki don't want to be seen as the bad guys in Barcelona. They don't want to be seen as the the bad guys. To paraphrase Bill Kenwright, who come and took our boy. You know what I mean? They they what yeah. they want is Messi to say, "I've had enough and I'm going," and then they can then say, "Well, Messi was the one who decided to leave Barcelona, and what were we going to do? Not sign him." Um, that yeah. is kind of politically how they want to play it. And does it not seem like now the perfect opportunity for Messi to actually say? I, I have had enough. I am leaving. This is a shambles. I want to go and play somewhere else. And if that does happen, like I say, I still think it will probably end up getting a new contract and the board will go. But if that does happen, it's perfect for City. It's perfect because they can say, look, he just lost 8-2. Of course he doesn't want to leave. Of course he doesn't want to stay. Of course he wants to leave. Of course he wants a new challenge. And what are we going to do? Not not buy him. Although, just think, to- just think of the narrative though. Messi well, comes to City, wins the Champions League with Guardiola. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Nobody, yeah, but... <laughs> No, nobody would ever accept. I mean, I know it doesn't matter. You know, City fans would fucking best night of their lives. But talk about narrative and even you know my expectations of City getting under points next season if they sign Koulibaly in a forward. If that forward's Messi, they should just like get two hundred points. You know, <laughs> but, but like, if, if they win the Champions League next season with Messi, which again, look, we're talking fantasy land here. But if they if they win the Champions League next season with Messi, I I don't know, like the vast majority of the football public, which is obviously no good indication of anything. I mean, they would basically treat Guardiola as if he's just, I don't know, paid off the ref. Do you know what I mean? Like There would be no credit whatsoever for Guardiola winning the Champions League next season or for City. You know, there's just no way anybody would give them credit. You know, City fans wouldn't give a shit. Guardiola I was, was going to say, you know, care. you know how I'm I'm I feel sure about I that. Care. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm not, and I'm not saying that that is how it should be, but just until you, you mentioned the narrative. Like, yeah, if... If Messi comes to City and wins the Champions League, two Champions Leagues, then you know Guardiola's never escaping that ever. As long as he lives, he's never escaping that. I bet you never thought we'd finish a podcast where we were dissecting the Lyon game with the phrase "If Messi comes to City and wins the Champions League." But here we are. That's how it's going to end. <laughs> yeah, I uh, really didn't. I really didn't expect that. But you know, I didn't really know what I was going to decide was the, <laughs> the upshot from the game. So it's as good a place as any. I mean, it's interesting though, isn't it? Like I do. I'm. I mean, I love it when there's like a global football soap opera going on. So I'm going to keep my eye on this Messi one. And I mean. I'm I'm tempted to say I hope City aren't involved just because it would just be an absolutely mental summer. But um, God, imagine City and um, imagine Messi in the Premier League. It would just be it would just be unreal. Absolutely I don't unreal. I don't care if it makes your job harder or, or busier for the next uh, next no, four no, weeks. Mate. No, I, neither does anybody else. I, I want it to happen. So uh, so let's try and make it happen, shall we? It would be absolutely <laughs> unreal. It would be phenomenal. But let's save that for the podcast for when when he's unveiled, shall we? We shall, uh, but that's Plug it for this week, everyone. See you later. <laughs> that's it for this week's Why Always Us. Uh, you've been listening to Sam Lee. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed that. And to me, David Mooney. Don't forget, you can sign up to the Athletic right now with a thirty-day free trial by using the code Man City Pod. Mm-hmm.